This is the Visible Hand, Special Job Market Edition. My name is Jordi Blanes y Vidal. My guest today is Marcos Manuel Salgado, a PhD student and job market candidate at Stanford University. Today, we're going to talk about his paper, Building Loyalty Through Personal Connections, Evidence from the Spanish Empire. Marcos, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jordi. Thanks so much for having me. So, Marcos, in this paper, you think of the Spanish Empire as an enormous organization in which principals find it difficult to use formal contracts to incentivize desired behavior from the agents so that we can get into the understanding of why that was an issue that was worrying uh, this particular organization. Can you start by describing what the Spanish Empire was? Yes, of course. The Spanish Empire encompassed all the colonies Spain had from roughly 1500 up until 1808. This, co this was, as, as I said in the paper, huge. It went from southern Chile and Argentina all the way up to California. So all like almost all of Latin America except Brazil and all of Central America and a bit of North America plus the Philippines. And the Spanish Empire had a hierarchical layer organization that started in Spain with the king and had layers that layers in Spain and in the colonies. So whenever the Spanish king wanted something to get done in, say, southern Chile, I presume that the king was not taking a boat and going to Chile. But why couldn't just the Spanish king send a letter uh, saying, do this or I'll just cut your head off? Uh, for a bit of context, I want to emphasize that this is a time in which the Spanish Inquisition was at its height. Okay, so one would have expected that the king would have adequate tools at his disposal to get things done. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, for example, no Spanish monarch ever went to the colonies. So there's no record of it. They never went. Uh, the trip was very dangerous and very, it was, it was very, all of these places were far. It took up to four four months to send a letter to Mexico and up to eight months to send a letter to Lima. And if you wanted to go inland from there, it was even farther. So by the time the orders came, it may have already been too late. Circumstances in the ground could have changed. And also the communication took so long, sometimes the king didn't have a good idea of what was happening. So they had, even though the, the empire was um, centralized in theory, they had this practice, what was called obedezco pero no cumplo, or I obey, but they do not comply. Uh, which meant that people in the colonies sometimes received an order and decided not to follow it, uh, while at the same time saying obedezco, which means they recognize the king's authority. So, Marcos, could you describe the administrative structure of uh, how the empire was organized? Because we are talking here about the principles, and obviously the ultimate principle will be the king, but your uh, paper doesn't actually focus directly on the king. Instead, the administrative structure in terms of what was the ruling committee in Madrid and the, the administrative committees in the colonies is quite important. So just tell us a little bit about, about these things. Yes, more, more generally, I think this is generally a problem when we look at political organizations because sometimes we look at the you know politician and bureaucrats, but the voters are actually the politician's principal. So we are often looking at, at two steps in, in, a, in a command chain. But I'm looking in this paper at the principal, as the Council of the Indies, which was located in Madrid and it was the highest colonial authority under the king. For example, they drafted all legislation that, that the king had to sign. So they were really at the top or like very close to the top of the hierarchy. Um, and more importantly for my paper, they decided a lot of the staffing decisions. They decided who would uh, take what job in the Americas. And they also did performance reviews. 
they also were in charge of firing people. Um, and of course, the king would always overrule them, but the king is busy and the king is dealing with a bunch of other non-American stuff. So these people have a lot of power. Under the Council of the Indies, in the Americas, uh, there's executives, so viceroys and governors, which I don't look at those, but there's also these colonial audiencias, which are collegiate bodies that are, you could think of them as like courts of appeal because they look as judicial bodies because they are, they are all lawyers and they wear robes and stuff. But these people really have judicial and legislative powers. Okay, so obviously... This took place a very long time ago. I know that your study essentially focuses on the 18th century. So getting information about what was going on in empire three centuries ago must have been uh, difficult. What is the data that you use in order to, uh, to study how the empire was ruled in the 18th century? So there's basically three sources of data here. You are right, it's, it's quite hard, especially when you try to like expand your data. Um, the first source of data set is a biographical data set that I assembled from biographical dictionaries. Basically, there's a lot of information out there in terms of like for each person a few paragraphs that a historian writes, it's relatively easy to make this into a data set. I mean, it's a lot of work, but doable. That's the first data set. And I have in that data set, because it's a biographical data set, I have their whole careers and their education. And from this data set, I can get who in this colonial structure knew each other because maybe they went to school together or they share a job. And I also can get promotions because I can get how they advance. Um, there's also, there's a second data set that I use to validate the measure of connections, basically to check whether two people who, for example, went to school together are more likely to be friends. This data set is an action level data set. This is basically things that historians record about the lives of people. Each uh, observation in this data set is one action, which is usually birth, deaths, marriages. Some actions are relational and I can use them to link people. Uh, so to find some a pair of people in my data set and to see if there's something that they did together that makes me classify them as friends. So this data set on actions, just to, just to understand its value, it's an improvement on the measurement of a connection, if, if I understand it well. That is, if two individuals have gone to university at the same time, they may or may not know each other. But if they have taken an action that affects the other one, for instance, I, I think that you mentioned um, one of them has been the godfather of the children of the other, then clearly that's a, you know, a very precise measure of a connection. That would be like an improvement on the measurement. Yes, I, I always want to clarify that this friendship data set has disadvantages. So for example, we we know when everyone went to university, so we know exactly who was connected and not connected through, for example, going to university. But the friendships are these random acts of friendship that somehow survived the historical record and we can observe them. But this data set has problems, in particular that there are a lot of friendships that are probably happening and we don't observe because they don't survive the, the historical record. Um, so this data set, I mostly use it to validate, to show, look, a, a, a pair of people who didn't go to university together or didn't work together are way less likely to later on be friends. The other thing with the friendship data set is that these friendships, unlike university, which where you meet people and then years later, uh, you can you can find that they are your bosses. These friendships are endogenous and sometimes happen like after this promotion dynamic started happening. Uh, but yeah, as you said, the, the friendships are job recommendations, procuring a job for each other, or what I call uh, ritualized friendships or historians call it which is being a, a godfather to the other's children or being like a best man at the wedding. 
Okay, so you have data on the administrative structure, in particular the identity of every one of these like high top-ranking bureaucrats, both in Madrid, but also in the colonies. You can measure their personal connections. You say that you were able to measure whether these uh, bureaucrats are promoted or not. I-, I guess that maybe this is a good point to put forward what the objective of the study is. I mentioned at the very beginning that there was a governance problem in the Spanish Empire. Obviously, the paper is called Building Loyalty Through Personal Connections, so that gives us a hint. But maybe can you, be, can you be a bit more expansive in describing what is it that you are trying to do with this data set in understanding how the Spanish Empire was ruled? Yes, so the basic question is how do they manage, as you said, how do they manage to solve this problem? They have agents very far away, how you manage to them to implement the policies that you want? And my answer will be about relationships. So they found these relationships very important. And they had what, what I call a dual personnel strategy. They boosted connections between colonial agents and their bosses in Spain. And they did this by promoting the most connected. And on the other hand, they used legislation to limit ties between these agents and colonial elites. So basically, that's the first result is that uh, connections bring promotions. And then I show that these uh, policies worked for them uh, in the sense that at least for one important objective, which was revenue in the sense that uh, colonies that had more promotions to the bosses in Madrid raised more money and colonies where the agents had more local friends raised less money. Okay, so several results there that together contribute to this message that the personal connections was a tool or a mechanism that uh, helped the centralized government do not rule, rule the colonies. I want to start by focusing on the on the first result. So this is that the audiencia members, that is the members of the legislative bodies in the colonies, that are more connected to council members, that is the members of the Council of the Indias uh, in Madrid, were more likely to be promoted. Can you describe what is the sample and the empirical strategy that you use uh, to run this regression? Yes. So the sample here is every audiencia member and every council member. And basically, so I I have for each audiencia, they are called ministers, audiencia minister year, I know how many uh, councillors are connected to them. So because I can count how many people they share a job in the past. I don't think I said this so far, but like uh, the, the the two people are connected if they uh, went to university together around the same time, or if they share a job in an audiencia, because a lot of the counselors had searched in the audiencias before. Um, uh, I know how many people were connected. I know to how many people the audiencia ministers was connected, and I know where they got a promotion. So basically what I do is I exploit turnover in the Council of the Indies. Basically, you have a friend in the Council of the Indies, or like a, a former classmate, this person dies or, or retires, and then you are one connection down. And when you are one connection down, you are less likely to get a promotion. So this is a panel of individual audiencia members and years, correct? Dependent variable is a promotion dummy. Independent variable is the number of connections to individuals in the council to which that audience member is connected. I presume that you put individual fixed effects and time fixed effects. Uh, the variation, if I understood it well, comes typically downwards. That is when the council member retires. It could also be upwards, I guess, when the, the council is joined by a new individual that had a connection with the audience member. Yes, it's, as you said, it's both. It's also it's also upwards. It's, you, you may gain a connection when someone goes in. So one thing that comes here to mind is is the following. So I, I, I'm actually, as it happened, Spanish, but despite being Spanish, I don't really know very much at all about this period in the Spanish history, at least to the level of detail that, that you have. 
But a good analogy, a good way to think about what might be going on here is in terms of political parties in, in modern democracies. One thing that could happen is that, in, you know, if we were to run an equivalent regression in a contemporary setting, is that whenever there is a new minister of the government that belongs to the party of the left, maybe, you know, there is some type of a lower level minister that gets promoted. This is not because they have any personal connection necessarily, but because they share some ideology, because they are organizing in a, in a party. Is it possible that somehow there were like factions in the Spanish court or, you know, in the Spanish administrative or bureaucratic system that created some type of correlation between the fates of certain individuals that went beyond uh, these personal connections? Yes. So something I should start talking about here is, is something I talk a lot about in the paper with is share, what I describe as shared background. So as, as I mentioned before, I classify two individuals as having a personal connection if they basically if they went to the same university at the same time or if they had the same job at the same time. And I describe in the paper why I think that the things I use to classify a personal connection that are describing a people who had sustained in-person interactions. I also classify individuals as having a shared backgrounds if they, for example, went to the same university but at different times or if, for example, they are distant relatives. So the idea with the shared backgrounds measure is to say like these two people maybe didn't know each other personally but they they look alike and i think the what, what share backgrounds maybe capturing stories like the one you are telling now the one the fact that people who may look alike are more likely to for example because they belong to the same party but it could be that they have the same legal approach to deciding things because they went to a same university so that's the kind of things that share backgrounds should be capturing and what i find is that share backgrounds uh, doesn't uh, doesn't predict promotion. And when you include both in our regressions, only personal connections is important. One other thing about the, this type of a result is that the fact that it use it, it's essentially if you want like a, or it has a flavor uh, of a different, a different strategy. That is, uh, something changes, should, which is in this case, the retirement of a member from the council, it should affect certain individuals, the ones that are connected to that specific uh, retiree, not others. One thing that you don't have in the paper is the study of pre-trends. My uh, assumption would be that the data is relatively coarse, uh, such that pre-trends really are not really very meaningful. That is, the coefficients are jumping around all over when you try to disentangle them with a leads and lags estimation. So what th there are there are a couple of things here. So I didn't do this as an event study uh, in particular because for example like the the diff in diff setting with the with the fixed effects and everything allowed me to account for fixed effects for example I didn't mention before time in the job how long they've been in the job because they could be that they could are accumulating connections and they eventually get the promotion later. So th that's why I I did the I set it up as a as a progression with with fixed effects. But yeah, the thing is the data is kind of coarse. What I do show in the paper that I think addresses this concern that you are raising is that. I define different promotion windows. So basically, I I check, I compare how many connections you had before you got a promotion than when you got it. And the thing is, when you got it, it's a bit, you know, arbitrary because maybe you got it in a year. Maybe you got it and it took a bit of time. Maybe you, you gain a connection and it took two or three years for like a vacant to appear. So, you know, the the, the promotion window, it's relatively arbitrary. Um, I, I show that my results are robust to promotion windows between like zero and which I, I think shows that result are very robust. So at this point, uh, I want to draw the attention to a, a, an earlier paper by Shu, 
published in uh, 2018. And I think that this earlier paper, I think is, is, is a good point of reference in which, you know, to, to understand your results. So Shu studies uh, the British Empire, okay, so another empire, uh, and at some point he runs a regression where the data set is a panel data set of governors of colonies and years. So, you know, a, a similar a structure to the one that you have in the regression that you have just described. The dependent variable is a salary of the governor. Again, left-hand side variable that is like the career fate of the uh, individual in the colonies. And the independent variable is whether the governor is connected to the secretary of state, uh, which is based in London. Again, the regression controls for governor and year fixed effects. He, again, finds that the presence of a connection to the Secretary of State, you know, helps the career of the governor in the colonies. Can we say that these two regressions are somewhat comparable in that they both capture how changes in the metropolis is affecting the careers of the uh, of the leaders in the colonies. Yeah, I, I think that's a great paper and, and a great inspiration. Of course, it's, it's the closest paper to mine. And I think we address slightly different questions. Uh, I think uh, his main contribution is about, assist, about assessing a system of patronage. So basically what he finds, he finds these negative effects of connections on things like revenue, for example. And he finds that these effects go away when uh, the arbitrary powers of the Secretary of State of the colonies get removed and replaced by a more civil service system. What I focus on is in more of this, not, not as much on the system of governing on where I, I don't have variation on that. So I cannot focus on where, uh, you know, an a system with arbitrary decision making is better than a, an a formal a one with formal rules. Um, but what I can do that my sample allows me to do is to focus on these personal relationships because I think people in my sample were, let's say, more homogeneous than people in his sample. They run into each other very often. And also because I have like a, a, a a principle that is a collective body, I can use a more restrictive measure of connections and exclude people with only shared backgrounds and only measure, only classify as connected those people with that actually knew each other. So in that sense, I, I think the main contribution of my paper is uh, going a bit further in, in thinking about what these connections are. And maybe when we are not thinking about people who maybe only look like each other and any story like the thing you said about factions uh, first or, or just directly elitism could have been going on, maybe when those systems are in place, maybe we see a negative effect. But when the story is more about relationships of trust between principal and agents, then maybe I see these positive effects for the Spanish Empire that I was talking about earlier. So you're anticipating uh, something that I wanted to ask you uh, at the very end. But I, I want to draw the attention to this uh, like second result that we have touched upon that in some sense represents uh, the main difference between your results and those of uh, Shu. Uh, the, the second result is that audiencias in which the members have more connections to the council generate more revenue for the metropolis. Can you describe how you estimate that? So there's a, the, the unfortunate thing here is that here I'm a bit more limited by the data. Um, the unfortunate thing here is that we don't have uh, individual measures of performance yet. So what we need is aggregate measures of performance that are also like comparable between audiences. And one of these is revenue, is how much taxes is the audiencia in a given year collect. Um, I should say that even though we don't usually think how these legislative bodies are, are in, just in charge of this, uh, the audiencias were, um, especially in their judicial capacity, they were the most important oversight body in the entire audiencia. So if anyone was stealing money, it was the audiencia that had to like take charge and, and punish them. 
that. And they can oversight. Yep. Let me just interrupt you here. So, so does this mean that if I was a governor and I wanted to steal money, the first thing that I will do will be to bribe the audiencia members? Is that the kind of thing that you have in mind? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, the audiencia was the highest court of appeal in the district, but as highest court of appeal, the, the, the judicial abilities or, or the judicial uh, responsibilities were wider than we would think. And they encompass general oversight and also not governors because governors would get their performance reviews done uh, approved by people in Spain, but they also did this performance review for people lower in the organization. And this, I call them performance review, but they were actually kind of investigations uh, into regular investigations into things like corruption. So just going back to the sample uh, yeah. and the regression that you ran to show this result. So basically the, the regression I ran, what I am asking is with audiencia year data in how much tax they collected, where they collected less or more taxes after an audiencia lost or gained a connection to Spain. Basically, what I do is I exploit the fact that the audiencia members had pre-existing connections to council members and then, or council members to be, and then you had a, a change in the in the connections. And then I, I compare the, um, the income in the next, basically I compare the five years before the change and the five years after the change. And this is robust from doing it from three to eight years. So so you have yeah. a data set that takes all the events in, in which there is a shock to a connection uh, to the members of, of an audiencia. Yeah. And the data set is five years before the shock compared to five years after the shock. Yeah. I was wondering why run a regression in this way? It seems a little bit convoluted. Why don't you use a panel of audiencias and years in which the dependent variable is just the revenue of an audiencia in a particular year and the dependent variable is just a standard number of connections or whether the members have at least one connection and then you control for the standard individual uh, audiencia fixed effects and year fixed effects and, and that's it rather than doing it with this like that restriction to the events and the windows around the events and so on. So so the main problem with that is that you have the audiencia composition changing at the, around the same time. So this this was, in my opinion, the clearest way to show, to uh, frame it as a change in the council. So the problem with the other one is that it's very hard to disentangle where like your number of connection goes up because you get a new audiencia member and you see how that would be endogenous because maybe I got this, uh, you know, very connected connected audiencia member, but this audiencia member who was very connected, maybe was also like, you know, smarter, went to a better university. So uh, this person's gonna maybe bring revenue up, but that's not the kind of thing we wanna, we wanna same as in the, in the first progression, we wanna exploit only variation coming from the council. Uh, so that's why it was framed this way. Uh, and I think it's a problem of, of dealing with two collective bodies instead of like one principal and one agent, like in, in our sets. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So I want now to go back to Shu again. So he finds that connected governors generate less revenue for the metropolis than unconnected governors. But what you are finding is exactly the opposite. Yeah. That is, in your case, connected members generate more revenue for the metropolis than unconnected members. You have already touched upon this. Obviously, you cannot unequivocally tell us that the difference between the two results comes from here or from there. But what are your notions as to why the results uh, could be different across the two 
uh, the two studies. So I think the one thing I I always want to keep in mind is that these people are the fact that going back to a promotion result, the fact that only people with personal connections are not just people who look like each other getting promoted kind of tells me that this, you know, personal relationship with the principals were very important. And I think that's a, a, a very, a very stark difference. Um, but I also think uh, based uh, people with um, the career structures were incentive in a way that allow people with these connections to expect favors. So kind of in like in a repeated game situation, people who were in a cooperative relations with this principle, they would uh, behave better and maybe they would have like a better chance of promotion next time. So I really think there was a loyalty relationship going on between the, the principals in Spain and the audiencia minister in the colonies. And that was uh, getting reinforced with it each time. So one thing that you have mentioned is that the uh, council members in Madrid were in charge of the performance reviews. Is there the possibility to measure the content of these reviews and see whether they are more favorable when the friend of that audiencia member happens to be in the council? Yeah, um, so what I, first I think these performance reviews are an amazing data source that has been not uh, has been really understudied and it was my goal to study this and actually I was going to go to Spain exactly when, when COVID started happening and then I couldn't go and then the archives were closed so yeah it's possible i tried to do it but then covid happened and then uh, i i couldn't actually do it but i want to do it in the future i think this is an amazing data source and and for many ways they was they would do it regularly every five years they would conduct to do these performance reviews they would conduct like extensive inquiries in the colonies of what people thought about this person is in one of the few cases in which we actually get native american voices in the official documents because they were um, inter by the person doing the investigation. And it's also like a, a great way to know what things were, what sort of crimes were punished by the Spanish Empire and what things weren't. Because we know the list of crimes. We know they weren't allowed to like extract forced labor, but they did when you violate the rule when that's actually, uh, when there's an actual punishment. So it's not in this paper, but I do want to work with that in the future. So you have, I, I think it's fair to say that these are the two main results uh, in the paper, but you have other results that are either more qualitative or this can be interpreted more like as a correlation. Can you describe what are those? Some of them you have already mentioned, sprinkled throughout our discussion, but but uh, can you can you describe it now in a, in a more structured way? Yeah, of course. So what I was saying that the, the Spanish Empire had this dual personal strategy because they like some connections, but they dislike others. And in particular, they didn't want these audiencia members to have relationships with people, the colonial elites, which were basically the people from, from whom they need to extract tax, taxes from. And so the first thing is that there was a lot of legislation that put limits on the type of relationships they could have. For example, people were not allowed to serve in their district of birth. So if you were if you were born in Peru, you were allowed technically to serve in Mexico, but not in Peru. They were not allowed to marry within the district. So if they went to the district while they're being when when they were single, they had to kind of stay single because it's not like you can travel. These restrictions apply to their children, so their children also couldn't marry within the district. They were not allowed to hold property or run businesses. Also applied to their children. So basically, they really tried to limit how much this audiencia ministers interacted with the colonial society. And of course, these people were there for long periods of time. They were not term limited. These were like lifelong appointments. Sometimes they retired or went to Spain. But uh, so some degree of them mixing with the colonial society was unavoidable. Sometimes they exploded loopholes. Sometimes they uh, violated the law and then they had to pay a fine. Sometimes they bought exceptions. So you could pay to get an exception to this rule. 
But I feel this set of rules um, shows the intention of the Spanish Empire. They really, they, they really didn't want these people to be part of the colonial society. So I guess that, that in that context, one thing that is a bit puzzling is why wouldn't these uh, restrictions include, you know, an increase in the rotation of ministers across colonies? Because if I want to uh, cut the ties between the ministers and the local elites, the best thing is to rotate them every five years rather than keep their appointments for life. So the, um, the appointments were for life, but they did get transferred. And so the, the average time they served in their total careers was 18 years, but it was actually less, I think around 10 uh, that they served in, in each colony. However, the transfer system does not seem to be designed to actually minimize the time they were in the colonies. I really, I'm only speculating here, but um, how hard these jobs were, so how hard you had to work to understand the colonial legislation that was like uh, famously uh, hard to master because there was just accumulation of royal decrees over the years and there was and how far everything was from each other. I think that made a, a system of rotation harder. But I really don't have any like uh, quantitative or even qualitative evidence because as far as I know, a, rota a faster rotation system wasn't discussed or I didn't find any reference to that. So it's just speculation. Uh. So I really like history. I am Spanish. So I find this paper fascinating, but I am wondering why should other people also find it fascinating? Uh, and one thing that comes to mind is that the policy implications of these findings are not super obvious. From an historical perspective, uh, for historians, it may be really interesting to understand the way that the uh, empire was managed, but are these results telling us anything here about how to run companies or even countries nowadays? Yeah, so uh, basically what I think makes the Spanish empire kind of unique is that this monitoring was very, very limited. And so I think there's something about that situation in which makes this system of appointing people you trust because you know them personally a very uh, reasonable strategy. So I think what we need to ask is where else in the modern world we would see this. Um, basically, all situations in which you are going to monitor or where the agent or what whatever the agent is doing is somehow an observable. There are, uh, you know, organizations such as terrorist cells that in purpose do not um, communicate with the principals or the principals, the, the terrorist leaders, uh, organize the cell and then they leave it be because they, they cannot communicate with each other. So in these settings, it could be very important. In terms of corporate governance, that is something I've been looking a bit more, especially like I was listening to your podcast, I was getting a bit more into, into a literature. Um, for example, one paper that is uh, quite related to mine, especially because they also they use very similar measures of, of what I call like personal connections, you know, uh, it's a uh, fracassi and Tate, a paper about um, board composition and CEOs. They find the same as, as Guo Xu, that being connected to a CEO being connected to a director, uh, to the board directors, uh, destroy value. But uh, something that I think hasn't been tested, for example, that uh, to the best of my knowledge is, okay, this is with the CEO and, and the board that are in the same city. The board can uh, monitor the CEO whenever they want. But what happens with subsidiaries? You know, what happens when uh, you have people in other countries that have, uh, it's harder to observe them, but also you are a danger that they may like even take over the operation. Uh, I, I was thinking, I was trying to use it as a motivating example but it's an ongoing legal case. So I don't know if it's very wise. Is this a uh, arm case of this British company that, that has a subsidiary in China and the CEO kind of took over. And despite the fact that this CEO 
CEO was fired from the board, uh, he's still in charge. And this is an ongoing legal battle. I don't know how it's going to end, but I think there are a lot of situations in the modern world in which we both have an agency problem and we intuitively know relationships are important. They are important in, in, in our lives. So why wouldn't we study them as part of how organizations work? Okay, wonderful, Marcos. Thank you for coming to the podcast. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My guest today has been Marcos Salgado. My name is Jordi Blanesividad and this is the Visible Hand podcast. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk for links to the other papers that we discussed. Introductory music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan.